Am I on? Okay, there we go. How am I supposed to preach after this? Like, I'm, like seriously. What's that? Put the shoes on first. <laughs> yeah, but David said, Enlarge my heart that I might run unto you. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for the Blue Jays. This morning I want to share a word that is so important, brothers and sisters. And as I've been sent off now for the summer, I want to thank the board and the church for this opportunity. I wanted to leave you with something to hold on to. Something that is crucial. So crucial in the day in which we live in today, maybe more so than any other time. The word I'm going to share today has more significance now than ever before because of the signs of the times in which we live in. My text is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. Notice Paul says, finally, he's coming to a conclusion in his letter, very significant. Paul is concluding 2 Timothy, and he wants the people in the church to understand. These are his closing remarks. And your closing remarks are the most important. And so this is what he wants them to know. Brethren, pray for us. Watch this now. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Verse 3. Watch this now. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence. Notice the word confidence. Very important word. We have confidence or assurance in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting of Christ, or for Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also, or he also will deny. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In other words, if we are faithless, he will still be faithful. You see, God doesn't react on how we react or respond. God doesn't respond how we respond. And this is very important. It says here, it says here, if we are unfaithful, one translation says he remains faithful. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Brothers and sisters, today we are living in an unfaithful society. Faithlessness seems to reign supreme. 
the prominent characteristic of our society today is faithlessness. No commitment. Very little loyalty. Just look around. Today there's so many lawsuits. You see them everywhere, especially in the United States. If you go to the United States, you're being sued for everything. You smile at somebody, you're being sued. It's unbelievable what's going on in society today. Don't let me talk about weddings. Weddings. <laughs> Commitment. Divorce is rising as we speak. Because commitment has very little value. Till death do us part doesn't even exist anymore. Commitment has become almost a taboo word in our society. We're fearful of commitment. Scared to commit. And it's a plague. We don't like to commit. And in our marriages we've suffered because of it. You know what Proverbs tells us in chapter 20 verse 6. A faithful man who can find one. A faithful man who can find one. And I find that ironic because King Solomon who wrote this had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So I, I struggle with this a little bit. But nonetheless it's the truth. A faithful man who can find somebody that's truly faithful. Think about it. Jesus said in Luke 18.8. He says, when I come back again, watch this now, this is very important. Will I find faith among the people on the earth? In other words, Jesus recognizes and realizes that faithlessness will be the atmosphere in which he returns. My friends, we are living in a faithless generation. Men's hearts are getting colder and colder as we speak. People are becoming more critical and more bitter. Churches are closing throughout the world, especially in Europe. It's, 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 an, it's an epidemic in Europe. Ireland, nobody goes to church, literally. Even in the Catholic church, which was a dominant church, they're closing up. In England, it's a disgrace what's going on in the name of Christianity. And we're seeing it Escalate day after day, week after week, month after month. Faithlessness will be the atmosphere in which Jesus returns. Now think about that for a moment. The Bible always interprets the Bible. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 it says that, that many will depart from the faith in the last days. That's because of faithlessness. Giving heed to seducing spirits. Not standing on the word of God. Not faithful in studying his word and believing in him. Jesus tells us that the hearts of men will get colder and colder towards spiritual things. We are living in an atmosphere of coldness. People aren't motivated as they used to be when it comes to the things of God. And Jesus tells us through the teachings of Paul that there's going to be a great falling away before the Antichrist comes. And we're seeing a falling away even as we speak, friends, throughout the world. There are, we, you may have known people who started well serving God, but now they no longer even mention his name. 
You might know people like that. I do. People who've started well in the things of God, but now you don't find them anymore. You don't see them in church. You don't even see them even talking about God. It's become a reproach to them. They become bitter and hard. Faithlessness is the atmosphere in which Jesus will come again. But brothers and sisters, this morning I want to talk to you about someone you can trust in. This morning I want to talk about someone you can place your confidence in. This morning I want to talk to you about someone you might be faithless, but someone who is always faithful. Someone who's not fickle. Someone who's not emotional. Who, who bases his commitment and his love strictly by his emotions or by what he sees and feels. No, 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 friends. I want to talk to you about someone who you can count on, who won't leave you or forsake you. Lamentation says, for great is thy faithfulness. God, you could say anything. Lamentation, great is your faithfulness. This is what Jeremiah calls great. Faithfulness is the brightest jewel upon the crown on his head. Faithfulness. He's faithful. God is faithful. I've entitled this message The Faithfulness Factor. The Faithfulness Factor. Not the fear factor. The Faithfulness Factor. Faithfulness. Faith. Not our faith, but God's faithfulness. Faithfulness in the Hebrew means amen. It literally means so be it. God is faithful. In other words, period. He's faithful. It's not a comma. There's no but. He's faithful, period. In other words, amen. So be it. He's faithful. And because he's faithful, I can live a certain way. Because he's faithful, I can do certain things. Because he's faithful, I don't have to fear. I can trust his word. I can believe what he's saying. And his promises are yes and Amen. I can trust him. Yes and amen. That's what Timothy is trying to tell us. Even if we deny him, he will not be denied. He cannot deny his character. What that means is that God is faithful despite your faithlessness or faithfulness. Because that's his character. And God cannot be anyone who he is. He's who he is. God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot be anything else but faithful. You can trust someone like that. It's not based on us. It's based only on him. And in our text, Paul is writing, as I mentioned, his closing remarks. He wants the people of Thessaloniki to understand these truths because they're so important. And so I want to share some principles today. Begin with P. And the first thing I want to share with you is that God is faithful in prospering his word. God is faithful in prospering his word. Notice verses 1 to 2. Notice, finally, brethren, watch this now. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. Interesting word. That the word of the Lord. Here's Paul praying. Watch this now. This is the great apostle Paul. This is, this is powerful Paul. There is no one like Paul. He's praying, asking, soliciting prayer from the Thessalonians that when he preaches and shares the word that it will have free course. In other words, that, that the, 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 the Greek word for free course means that it will go swiftly into the hearts. That it will penetrate the hearts. That there won't be any obstacles. That when I preach the word of God, it will go deep into the hearts. 
hearts of men. Paul is praying, asking prayer that this would happen when he shares the word of God. This is Paul. I mean, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul, who had one of the greatest encounters of all time. Paul, who, who was translated into the third heaven, who, who says, I saw things I can't even speak of when God opened up the heavenly realms. He saw heaven. No one did or experienced the things that Paul did. We can argue Moses and so on and so forth. But Moses and Paul, if they were together, they, they, certainly Paul saw things that no man has ever seen before. And yet it is this man, this great apostle, this ambassador, this man who wrote the New Testament, two-thirds, he asks for prayer. Pray that the word of God, when I preach it, will be received. That people will receive what I say. He asks for prayer. This is a picture of humility. You see, he recognized it's not about his ability. He recognized it's not about his strength. This is the great Paul. I mean, he could have used his own giftings. And I mean, who was gifted like Paul? Who did the things like Paul did? He didn't say that. He said, I need prayer. He recognized that his ability means nothing. To tell you the truth, and you've heard me say this over and over again, it's his ability in my inability. It's his sufficiency in my insufficiency. It's his adequacy in my inadequacy. And Paul understood that. He didn't say, I'm the great apostle Paul. Look what I've experienced. I'm going to do things. Watch me. He never once even alluded to that. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech thee. The word beseech is a very important word. It's like he's pleading, he's begging. I beg you, I beseech you, that you strive together in praying for me. Paul wanted prayer. He needed prayer because he understood the power of prayer. He understood it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He understood unless there's prayer in the house, the work won't get done because prayer is something that takes place in the supernatural realm. Prayer is something that takes place uh, in, uh, where, where, where you can't see it. it it takes place in the hidden realm it takes place in the invisible realm but you see it's in the invisible realm that the visible realm takes place oh my the power of prayer see prayer is a declaration of our dependency on God did you hear that People who are truly praying, they're saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. People who are praying are saying, I, I'm weak, I need your strength, Lord. I need you to empower me, I need you to strengthen me, I need you to make a way where there seems to be no way. It, I, I'm praying, I'm praying. It's exactly what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. It's one of my favorite verses, and I think I've quoted this over and over again. Isaiah chapter 64, look, since ancient times no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, verse, keep going, who acts on behalf of those, did you see, wait also can be referred to as praying, waiting on God. Did you see that? I don't want you to miss it. When you're praying and waiting on God, that's when God begins to act. But we have it the other way around. 
We think we have to be working all the time. We have to be striving all the time. And that that's how gets the work gets done. Now there's a balance. We do have to work. But you see, what Paul is saying here, it's as we pray, that's, that's, that's the main work. That's the key. That's the key. As we wait on God, God supernaturally, the celestial somehow gets involved in the terrestrial. Oh yeah. Somehow the celestial kisses the terrestrial. Something happens in the spirit realm as we wait on God. I mean, why wouldn't we do that? Because we think we can do it on our own? Because we think we have the power to make change? Because we think we can work it out on our own strength? Isaiah is saying when you wait on God, God begins to intervene. God begins to do something. Paul understood that. And that's why he wanted prayer over and over again. I want you to see what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul tells us, I didn't come to you, this is the Corinthians, with eloquent words. I didn't come to you with my ability to articulate. Paul was a scholar. Paul was the highest of scholars. He studied under Gamaliel, which was the highest rabbi in Judaism. Paul was arguably the greatest scholar of that day. And yet, he said, I didn't come to you with my intellect. I didn't come to you with my ability. I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I came to you, keep going. Verse 2, for I've determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 3, and I always was with you in weakness and in fear. There's the key to Paul. Weakness and fear, fear of God. Weakness. There's Paul's strength, not his intellect. Not the degrees that Paul had. Paul's strength is that he feared God and that he was weak in himself. In other words, he recognized that God is his strength. And in much trembling, he trembled. Oh, I wonder if we tremble before the Lord today. I don't see much of that. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The Greek word is dynama, power. It speaks of dynamite. He says, the reason why I've got dynamite is because of the Spirit of God that came in my life. And the reason why the Spirit of God is in my life is because I'm, I'm seeking Him. I'm crying out to Him. I'm waiting on Him. He's empowering me. He's leading me. He's doing things that I cannot do in my own strength. You see, my friends, prayer is not necessarily preparing us for the great thing. Let me say that again. Prayer is not necessarily preparing us for the great thing. No, no. Prayer, are you ready? Is the great thing. Oh, I'm just going to pray about it, you know. Good. But what we're saying inadvertently is that prayer is preparing us. And that is good. There's some truth to that too. But what we fail to understand, friends, is that prayer is the greatest thing that you can do. More things are done on your knees than with your running shoes. I just threw that in for free. I don't know. Life lesson. See, I believe we fail in the pressure moments in life. We fail in the pressure moments in life because we fail in the prayer moments in life. 
Some of us, when pressure comes, we freak out. And you think that you'd go to God in prayer, but the opposite happens. You freak out. You get all upset. You start questioning God. You start running here. You start going there. And we forget to pray and truly seek the Lord. We think we can fix it with our own strength. We think we can fix things by doing it our way. I did it my way. So, so the pressure comes, and instead of really crying out to God, we get more active in our flesh. We get more active in our abilities. The natural man kicks in. My strength comes in. Wait a minute. I've studied this, and I know this, and I've done this, and I've got this, and we talk about our experience. Well, I've got 35 years of experience, and we think our experience, although there's some truth to that, but that's not the truth. And so we depend on ourselves, and we look at that to fix that problem I gotta fix that problem but we can't fix it because that problem that you think you need to fix is what God has left so he can fix you that's also for free by the way to fix you why do you think sometimes God has you on your back that you can't even move God's saying you can't do it on your own strength And so the first thing Paul prays for is that the word of God would have free course. In other words, that the word would go deep into the hearts. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 3, 6? Some plant, someone talk to me, some plant, some water, but what? I, I don't think we caught it. Can we say it again, please? Some what? What does plant mean? When you plant seeds, we'll talk about it. You're planting seeds, which is the word of God, right? Some what? So you come along and you water that plant. You need to water. That's very important, isn't it? Yeah. But you know what Paul's saying? Doesn't mean anything. Oh, it means something naturally. But who gives the increase? God. You can plant all you want. You can water all you want. But unless God gives the increase. And how does God give the increase? As you wait on God. As you begin to pray. You begin to seek God. You begin to humble yourself. You begin to say, God, I can't do it. Yeah, I've planted, but God, it's only by your power. Yeah, I've done this, but it's only by your might. I've done this, but I realize that, that, that nothing can really happen. No fruit can really be born unless your spirit. Amen. That's why we sing, it's not by might, not by power, by thy spirit, says and so my responsibility, I've said this before, I'll say it again, is to bring the gospel, to bring the good news to the ears of people, correct? But it's God's responsibility, not mine, to take what we have shared in the ears of people and bring it to the hearts of men. That's God's responsibility. Not you. You can't do it. Ladies, I know you want to do it for your husbands, but it doesn't work. You can beat them on the head all you want with your Bible. It won't work. Don't laugh, Lucy. You know what I'm talking about. You, no matter what, you can do it. You can't force spiritual truth down people's throats. If we, if we would pray more, maybe we'd force less. That also applies for our children. Can't force spiritual reality. You can't. Some plant, some water, 
but God. So instead of forcing and spending all that energy in the flesh, why don't you pray more? Why don't you pray? You can't change in in your own strength. You can't force people to love you or, or do this. You can't. People are people. And what did Jeremiah say about our hearts? Our hearts are desperately what? I know you're a nice person and I love you, but your heart is wicked. My heart's wicked too, unless God touches it. What does it mean by wicked? We're self-absorbed. That's what it means. By and large, human beings are self-absorbed. That's our nature. Our nature. Some more, some less, but that's our nature. And unless God touches our hearts, our nature will remain the same. That's what the Bible is saying. And so, he's praying that the word of God goes swiftly into the hearts of men. We see this in Psalm 147, verse 15. We see this. It says, his word runneth very swiftly. It's his word. Paul in 2 Timothy 2 says, says, as I have suffered trouble even unto the bands or chains, but the word of God is not bound by chains. The word of God, my friends, goes beyond the natural realm. The word of God is not a natural book. I know people say, well, you know, who wrote this book? Let me tell you, yes, men wrote this book, but it has been divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is not a natural book. That's why it survived all these thousands of years. And they're finding the Dead Sea Scrolls and we went to Israel. We, they, 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 it's the exact interpretation. No matter how many years, no matter how old, you find the Bible always, always matching with the word of God because it's the word of God no matter how old no matter how new it's always the same because God's word lasts forever and this word my friends is not a natural word it's a spiritual word it's a prophetic word the Bible speaks of prophecy only the Bible speaks of prophecy because only God knows the future and the Bible is God's word and the God's word speaks of the future God's word speaks of the now as well and the Bible tells us that his word is powerful his word touches lives His word is not bound, Paul said. In fact, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord is like a hammer. Oh, I love this. That breaks the rock into pieces. Oh my, you want that rock, that situation that's so hard, that granite rock that doesn't want to move, that impediment that's so huge and vast, that situation that seems seems numerous and seems infinite, and it seems like it's never going to go away. It seems it's going to be there forever. It's a massive rock. It's a massive impediment. The Bible says his hammer, his word is like a hammer that breaks that rock that breaks that impediment that breaks that problem into pieces only the word of God can do that the word of God and so my friend if that's true why do you neglect the word of God why why do you blow dust off the few pages and begin to read why and so God is faithful to prosper his word number two then God is faithful in promoting his word notice verse one it says be glorified through the word be glorified through the word now I got to ask a question how is the word glorified well as people get saved get delivered 
God is glory. Acts chapter 13, verse 48 to 49. A bit of a Bible study I want to leave you with. A lot of scripture today. I want to leave you with something you can chew on for the next few months. I want you to chew on this. Look, look, look. And when the Gentiles heard the word, heard what happened, they were glad and glorified the word. They glorified God's word. When they saw the signs and wonders, when they saw the miracles, they glorified the word of God. Friends, do you know that God honors his word above his name? Psalm 138 verse 2. Can we see that? Psalm 138 verse 2. 138 verse 2. The Bible says that God honors his word above his name look look if we worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth very good for thou hast magnified above his folks did you see that he honors his word I mean when you think about God and we think about his name Jehovah Jireh Jehovah we think about all the attributes that are given for his name and who he is. God says, that's great, but I honor my word even above my name. Think about how powerful that is. And so let me ask another, I get the question, how can we neglect his word? He's faithful to prosper his word. He is faithful to promote his word. God does the promotion. We just have to speak it. God does the promotion. We just have to speak it. How can we tamper with his word? How can we take some words off? There's a, there's a movement today. There's a, a, a horrible, demonic movement today. Yeah, under, under the umbrella of Christianity that's trying to, to change the word of God. They're changing. It's called progressive Christianity. They want to change this. They want to remove that. They don't like this I'm going to use it next week if I want to use it they don't they don't take the word of God as an absolute they pick it and then they'll tell you what well, Paul's words were not inspired and maybe some of Jesus words were inspired but but we don't know so they pick and choose what they want and they they, 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 they mostly remove they've got nothing left but a few pages in the Bible because they're removing everything how dare you tamper with God's word. You know, Revelation says if you do that, you'll be cursed. Do you know it's, it, it pronounces a curse if you tamper with God's word? I'm fearful. You, know, you say, when I preach the word of God, brothers and sisters, I fear because I want to make sure I'm preaching his truth. I don't want to preach something that's not true. I, I don't want to preach something that, that, that I, I can't. I fear and tremble. And what are we doing today? We're taking, removing God's word. We're adding, we're saying things that aren't true. Trying to manipulate and twist his word. Oh. Oh, what a terrible state. Oh, you've heard me say this before. You see, friends, his word is bread for daily use. It's not cake for special occasion. You can write that down, please. And don't forget it. It's daily use not going to have it on special okay when I feel like it I'll use this word and maybe this word on Christmas and then maybe the, I'll use it maybe I'll, I'll speak on the resurrection on Easter and for, no 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 friends you don't pick and choose you don't pick and choose and so Paul is praying for the word to have free course 
The point is God is faithful in promoting his word. His word will never return void. Isaiah 55, 11. Did you see that? Never, never, never. You see, it's the word of God that does the work. It's the word of God that brings glory to his name. And that's what happened in Acts 16, 14. That's what happened in Acts 16, 14. I got to quickly read it for you. A woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia had an encounter with God by his, look what it says. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken. God opened her heart as Paul preached. So the word was delivered, and God opened the heart. You see, you see, we just preach the word, and God does the work. You see, we just wait on God, and God does the work. I can't do the work. You can't do the work. It's as you minister, God does the work. So then, if God does the work, I cannot get credit for it. Mr. Preacher, are you hearing me out there? Mr. Megachurch? Do you realize that? I can never take credit for these things. Because I didn't do them. I didn't do them. I may have planted, but God gave the increase. I may have preached his word, but the word went swiftly. And that's what the problem is. You see, we like to take credit for things. It's human flesh. It's human to want to take credit. And that's why many pastors fall and ministers fall because they're taking credit for things they didn't do. They think they've done it because they got a huge this and a big that. And now they think they're invincible. But I guarantee you, they will fall if that's what you do. You will fall because God will never share his glory with a man. Never. So I must fear and I must tremble before the Lord. Number three, God is faithful in performing his word. Not only prospering, not only promoting, but notice verse number one, just as it did with you. God performed it. He will continue to form it. Acts chapter 20 verse 32, he speaks the same thing. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. God can do something. He performs his word over and over again. What he did for you, he can do for her. What he did yesterday, he can do today. Because God is infinite. He's not fickle. He's not a respecter of persons. His word is his word. His word will always be his word. And what he did then, he will do today because of his word. His promises are yes and his men. He doesn't change. His word doesn't change. He's faithful. That's what we're talking about. He's the immutable God. The changeless God. That's what we're dealing with here this morning. He's faithful to perform it. You see the best thing Paul can do is to commend them to God. To his word. To his grace. Why? Because the word is what edifies Stay away from ministries that all they do is preach stories. Here I got a story for my sermon. Just stories. Stay away. 
We don't need stories. You want stories? I'll, I'll give you some books. I want the word of God. That's the only thing. Do you understand me, brethren? Don't be motivated and misguided by these sensationalists who preach stories. I was watching, I won't mention the name because it, I'd like to. I could not believe what I was hearing. This person is internationally known, one of the biggest churches, and I didn't even hear a sermon. I didn't know, he didn't even use the text. He was talking about a story and about the jet he has. And I said, what? What is this? And people are laughing and they're taking, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. What? My people are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge of what? Of his word. I want to leave you with something, brothers and sisters. Don't neglect the word of God. disturbs me when I see this it grieves me actually it's the word that edifies why did the apostles when they were asked to work and help out with the ancient Greeks the, 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 the widows they needed some work they need to serve some tables and they asked the apostles if they can help them out and what did the apostles say can, do I have another scholar in the house Elaine's a scholar oh sorry what? Don't have time to wait on tables. But to preach the word of God. Yes. But we we give ourselves to the word and to prayer. The word and to prayer. The word and we we don't have time for this. It's not that it's not important, but we we need to pray and deliver the word because we know that's what's going to make a difference. Not my stories. Not my experience. The word of God. That's what our society needs. And what is our society doing? Kicking out the word of God. We've kicked out the Ten Commandments. We kicked out principles and absolutes of the word of God. And now we're inviting drag queens to teach our children. We're inviting drag queens in our churches. We're inviting drag queens to teach our kids in the libraries about life. And they're dressed half naked. And now we see little kids who are performing drag queens. I've seen it on television. Or on YouTube, rather. Can you imagine? Because we've kicked out the word of God. And when you kick out the word of God, these things are going to happen. And so, friends... We give ourselves to the prayer and to the word, to prayer. And someone might say to me, Pastor, I, I understand this, okay? See, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. And I've had people tell me this, and I respect their honesty. I just don't have a desire to read. It's okay. I, I'd rather you tell me this. Say, Pastor, I want to read, I want to pray, but I, I struggle. I, I, I have a hard time. I understand that. We all have a hard time sometimes with the prayer I don't care how spiritual you might think you are, but it, but it happens to you too. And reading. Okay, but can I be honest with you? Do you think I always feel like praying at five in the morning? 
Do you th- I mean, I study day and night, but, well, but I don't always feel like reading the Word of God. Maybe I feel a little sick today, or maybe I have a cold, or maybe, maybe, maybe my kids are acting up. Or maybe life is giving me a, you know, giving me a black eye somehow. Maybe I just got fired from work. And my natural inclination is not to go right into, you know, maybe to grieve a little bit. And we all go through times where it's difficult. I understand that. And that's why I'm going to say this. Because I do it to myself. When you find yourself in that place, I know God understands. But what, have you ever thought of praying like this? Say, God, I just don't feel like praying right now. I don't feel like I, I don't feel very spirit. I don't, I just, I, 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 can you please give me an appetite to seek you? That's the word I use. I need an appetite, Lord. I, I've lost my appetite. I'm honest with God. Remember the disciples says, says they asked, help me, help my unbelief. Help me to believe Jesus. Help, it's very similar. Why don't you pray, Lord, I don't have a desire, but can you put a desire in my heart? Have you ever prayed that way? If you're sincere about that, I promise you by the authority of God's word, God will give you an appetite. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, it says, as sincere newborns desire the sincere milk of God's word. What does that mean? As newborn babes sincerely crave, that's what the Greek word, the milk, here we go. As newborn brains, desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow. Now, I have little Noah here. You notice he's not crying. He doesn't cry much. You know when he cries? Pascal, you know this. When he's hungry. The only time this beautiful baby cries is when he's hungry. That I'm aware of anyway when I'm there. Maybe father knows otherwise. But when Noah cries when he's hungry. Why? Because that's natural for a baby to cry when it's, it's natural. <laughs> By the way, that was an amen. That's an amen from a baby. Out of the mouth of babes, right there, you heard it. There it is. Oh, that's priceless. That, that's going down in history right there. I, 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 I got to watch this video when I... Anyway. As newborn babes... A baby cries when it's hungry. And when this baby cries, the minute you give him milk, it stops crying immediately. Now, what is Peter saying? Saying, as a baby that's newborn cries for milk, so should you cry for the milk of God's word. Now, let me ask you another question. If a baby stops crying, what does that signify? Sickness. Something's wrong with the baby. There's something wrong. The appetite. You know when you're sick, you don't have an appetite? That's a sign of sickness. Can I go further? If you don't have an appetite for the word of God, it's a sign of some kind of sickness. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. Lord, Please give me an appetite for your word. Lord, help me. 
I'm struggling. Nothing wrong with praying like that. That's what we need to do. And then God is faithful in protecting his people. Verses 2 and 3 by his word. Verses 2 and 3. Look what it says in our text. You got it? And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Paul prays that God will deliver them from unreasonable men. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you. What is, what is Paul saying here? Evil men. Paul said to the Corinthians, even to the Ephesians, when I leave you, what's going to happen when I leave you? Grievous wolves will come in to attack you. Friends, you can be sure that the enemy wants to destroy you, especially if you're new in Christ. Oh, he can't stand you. wants to devour you. He'll do whatever he can to hinder any kind of spiritual growth in your life. He'll allow this to take place. He'll allow that to take place. Anything to rob you. You'll get a phone call out of nowhere when you're reading the Bible. You never even heard this person before. Just need to distract you. To misguide you. And he will use unreasonable men. Did you notice that? Now what are these unreasonable? These are false teachers. These are people who do not know God. You know that because it says, it says, verse number two, three, it says everyone has not faith. Not everyone has faith. So these unreasonable men were like false teachers. They were men that were saying things to you, but they didn't have faith. They were speaking nice things. They may have sounded spiritual, but they were unreasonable. They, you couldn't make any sense. You would talk to them about the things of God, and it wouldn't make sense. Do you know anybody who's unreasonable? I know someone who's unreasonable. I know a few who are unreasonable. You talk to them about the things of God, it just doesn't penetrate. You talk to them about the things of God, and it's like, what? What? What are you talking about? And, or they want to p- proclaim their own kind of gospel, their own doctrine. And everything you talk about the Word of God doesn't seem to penetrate. No matter what you do, it doesn't seem to penetrate. It's unreasonable. It doesn't make sense sense to them you can't debate with them you can't talk with them you can't get anywhere with them they're so focused in their false doctrine they're so focused in their deception and their lies and deceit they can't see or hear what you're saying unreasonable men that's what this means unreasonable they have their own agenda not everyone has faith Paul's not talking about the godless in the world he's talking about some people that were in the church who were unreasonable. You think everybody that comes to church is reasonable? No, I'm not, please. I know everybody here is, no doubt. I got no doubt about it. But by and large, friends, not everybody who walks through the gates of a church are believers. They could be deceivers dressed up as sheep, but are wolves. Don't kid yourself. Make no mistake about it. Or they can sing well and they can dance and praise like no one else. I call them spiritual peacocks. Why? Have you ever seen a peacock? Oh, the most beautiful bird on the face of the earth. Array of feathers that are eight feet wide. Some of the males. Purples and greens and yellows and oranges. Kings and queens would have their feathers as, as to fan them off, you know, when they're, when they're, when they're hot. 
in Egypt and in parts of Europe, they, they would use the feathers for all kinds of decoration, the most glorious feathers, the most glorious bird. But I got a problem with the peacock. I got two problems with the peacock. Can I tell you my problem with the peacock? Although it's beautiful. Oh my goodness, it's got feathers. It could stand out in front of it. Nobody can compare. Uh, but there's two problems with the peacock. Number one, it can't sing. And number two, it can't fly. Now you name me a bird that can't fly besides a penguin. Can't fly! It can't sing! We use fly as faith and we use sing as worship. A spiritual peacock cannot really worship God and a spiritual peacock has no faith. It can't fly. And some of them are in the church. They look great. Oh yeah, hallelujah, they look great. Oh, they look great. Oh, they can sing, and they, they think they can sing. But they, they're there, they can quote scripture. They, but it's all a facade. Do we not see this in Revelation chapter 3 verse 1? Having an appearance of being alive but was dead. The church of Sardis. Dead. See, in the church we have the wheat and the tares. Did not Jesus speak of the wheat and tares? Did he not? But they look alike. If you look at a wheat and a tear, they look exactly the same. The goats and the sheep, and I call them the saints and the ain'ts. These are people who are tools for the enemy to stir up bitterness, to stir up division. That's why Paul said in Romans 16, mark those who cause division. Mark those. And you, oh, pastor, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. Well, hold on a second. Paul said, mark those who cause division. That's right. Look and see who's causing division. Mark them out. Stamp them out. That's what Paul said. That's good enough for me. That doesn't mean I'm going to look at a demon under every rock. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you're going to be consumed by these things. But Paul says, be aware. You know, be aware that there are some people that are going to try to stir things up. You mark that. You check it out. Check it out. Don't be naive. Check it out. Those who make ministry difficult. And a lot of pastors I've talked with over the years who are worn out, not because of preaching or ministry as such, but because of the wars inside the church. The Nehemiahs and the Sambalads. Nehemiah against Sambalad and Tobiah against Nehemiah. Warfares within the church, within the body of Christ, within Israel at the time in Nehemiah chapter 6. So Paul asks for prayer because we're in a spiritual warfare. We need prayer. Pray, pray, pray because not everybody has faith. Pray that God will show you. Pray, pray. Let God give you eyes to see. Let God give you the spirit of discernment. And so Paul asks for prayer for protection from these unreasonable men. Because God is our defender. I repeat again. God is our defender. God is our defender. You can place your confidence in God. He's faithful. He won't leave you and forsake you when times get tough. He won't abandon you when times get difficult. He won't do that. Because as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord round about his people. That's why David said in Psalm 35, you're my defender. I plead my cause to you. Because of his faithfulness, I can come to you, David said. Because you are faithful, God. You don't change. You're not up and down in your emotions. I can come to you. I got to close. But before I do, 
I want to give you two G's. God is faithful in grounding us and in guarding us. Verse number three, the Bible says he will establish you. Are you ready for this? I've used this before, but I'll say it again. How many can quote Philippians 4? I can do all things through Christ who? Do you remember now after all my years of preaching what the word strengthen means by now? Thank you. Sterozio, a Greek word which means steroid. Now, I've got some gym people here, some athletes, a few of them. What do you use steroids for normally, people? No, you don't use steroids, obviously. (laughs) I I don't mean that you do, but you go to the gym. So, and I just baptized you for this, so I'm going to pick on you. So, why do people use steroids? Yeah, so it's anabolic steroids, enhance muscle, and they cause your muscles to grow, but it's really, it's a superficial thing, but it's not healthy, but they use steroids for muscle growth. Muscle enlargement, how's that? Steroids. Do you know what God is saying here? You know what Paul is saying by the Spirit? God will strengthen you, establish you, God will will be your sterizio, will be your steroid. God is your steroid. So put away those pills. God is your steroid. He's your strength. He's the one guiding you and guarding you and protecting you. That's what he's saying right here. He will establish you, verse number three. Then he'll keep you. He'll keep you from falling. He'll protect you. He's your shield. He's your protector. The name of the Lord is a mighty tower and the righteous runneth unto it and are safe. He's guarding you. He's grounding you. God is protecting us. He's helping us. He gives his angels charge over us. Psalm 91. Because his rod and his staff, he comforts us. He's our shepherd. I shall not want. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's protecting me. He's establishing me. And he anoints my head with oil. Can we see that? I got to show you something. Can I show you verse 5? Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with what? Oh, are you ready for this? You got to be ready for this one. Fasten your seatbelts. We're about to take off. Watch this now. Watch this. Why, 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 watch. He anoints my head. During David's day, the shepherd would take oil and literally smudge it all over the sheep's head. You got that? You're with me? And there was a reason for it. Not because he wanted his face to glow. The oil, and we learned this in Israel, didn't we? The oil was important because, you know, sheep are a little bit, um, they're not the smartest creatures on the face of the earth, suffice to say. They go here, they do that, they don't, under, they don't have much understanding. See, don't laugh because we're called sheep. Let's not go too far. Let's just... But sheep, they do crazy things. And sometimes sheep will stick their heads in holes. They stick their heads in the crevice and the holes where the shepherd has them. They'll find a hole and they'll stick their head in there. The problem with doing that is that's where you find snakes that are venomous, that can kill you. And the shepherd knows that. And the shepherd anoints that. You probably didn't know this. This is what David is saying. And the shepherd anoints the sheep with oil as a snake repellent. Because the snakes can't stand that, that aroma. 
And so when the, when the snake sees the sheep's head, it wants to bite it, it won't bite it because of this oil that protects. Oh, I see something here. How many times do you stick your head in a place you shouldn't be sticking it? How many times do you put your head in that hole and you shouldn't be there? How many times have you done something you shouldn't have done? How many times did you go somewhere you shouldn't have gone? Ah, but it's oil. Why do you think David said, if it hadn't been for the Lord? He saw me, but if it hadn't been for the Lord, my God, he brought me up out of that miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. How many times has God protected you, and you didn't even know it? You should have died in that accident, but he protected you. You should have lost your mind in that situation, but God's oil protected you. You should have collapsed in the fever, but God undertook you. His oil! His oil. His oil, his oil. Did I say I'm closing? <laughs> I, I didn't see my two extra pages of notes. Okay, listen, you know what? I'm going to close. But do I have to? Verse 4, I have this confidence in the Lord. Okay, I, I can't close, sorry. I, I'm not going to be preaching for two more months, so you bear, bear with me. I'm going away for a little while, so you can handle a few more seconds or minutes. And everyone said? So now I got you for sure. He says, you're my confidence. He says, I've got confidence in you. He says that God's going to bless you. In other words, what Paul is saying, stay with me, that you don't have to be uptight. You don't have to get too stressed. How many know we're living in a stressful society? It's tough, especially for men who just got married or trying to sustain a family, finding jobs today. It's tough on men today. It's tough on women too. But men are really struggling today. In a way they haven't struggled. Now men are considered to be, I won't even use the word, and they're being, they're not, not, uh, in, in society today, a lot of their jobs are being taken from them. Because it's cool to hire a woman now. Not, not, nothing against that. It's cool to have three women on a panel and maybe have a man unheard of years ago men are really struggling today it's really tough so ladies we need you pray for your husbands and pray for the men we need prayer we're living in a society where masculinity is being a drag queen we're living in a society where a man is looked upon as being a negative thing if you're masculine negative to be masculine today wow and so we're stressed and so we say to ourselves if I can only see a counselor that I can just go see a counselor and I can just lie down on the couch and let them know my problems I'm going to lie down on the couch you know the couches they have and the counselors behind you all right tell me your problems well well Bob you know last week I fell down and three weeks ago my wife you know and, and, and you're telling and you're, you're explaining and you're lying down on this couch you're stretched on this couch you're stretched on this couch oh my friend stop stretching on a couch talking to a counselor if you're going to stretch why don't you stretch out before God why don't you stretch out before the Lord that's how our forefathers did it but now we're too sophisticated. 
We're too sophisticated. Go see a counselor again. Nothing against counselors, but listen, no counselor surpasses the counselor. Huh? Verse 5, God is faithful to provide direction. That's my last point, I promise you. This time I promise you. And the Lord direct your hearts to love God. Patient for the coming of the Lord. You see, friends, God is the one who's going to direct you. Stop trying to find direction from a person. Stop trying to find direction from a book. That doesn't mean you can't study or read. Nothing wrong with that. But stop putting all your emphasis on someone to get you through it. Ladies, stop thinking that if I can finally get married to the Mr. Right, to that knight in shining armor, all my problems will be taken care of. Wrong! In some cases, that's where your problems begin. In some cases. Not when I got married, my wife. She knew I was a knight. And she stood with me. She never... <laughs> I'm having fun. It's my birthday today. I can get away with it. <laughs> I'm getting some spanakopita later. So, you got yours. I gave it already. God will provide. Right? He will direct you. Do you see what I'm saying? What did he say? The Lord direct your hearts. Now, do you know what the word direct in the Greek means? Oh, I love this. Isn't the word incredible? The word direct in the Greek literally has a connotation or an implication that he will remove the obstacles as he's guiding you. I don't have to worry about it. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Do you understand what we're talking about here? Stop trying to make a way for yourself. Stop trying to kick those doors down. Stop it. Trust in God, Paul says, because he's faithful, don't you see it? He's not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. If he promised that he won't forsake you, he promised. If he promised he'll lead you, he will. Why don't you believe him? Stop kicking doors down in your own strength. My God. What a word Paul gives us today. I want to hold on to this word, Lord. I need it in my life. I need it. So, will you do me a favor? Or maybe I should rephrase it, will you do God a favor? Will you throw away and kick away those spiritual pacifiers that you suck on all day? Will you kick away and put away those spiritual wheelchairs that you're sitting on all day? Will you kick and push away and get rid of those spiritual canes that you're depending to walk on like I did? And start depending on God? Put away your canes. Put away those things that you put your confidence in. And for some of you, it's food. And for some of you, it's a man. For some of you, it's a woman. For some of you, it's a vice. For some of you, it's, it's your computer. I don't know what it is. They can never satisfy. They will pacify, but only God satisfies. Amen? Amen? He is faithful. He won't forsake you. He won't abandon you. 
He's true to this word. Anthony Bass. Anybody know him? Who's Anthony Bass, Rick? Twitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. Did I say I was closing? Uh, no, no, I'm closing now for sure. I promise you. This is the last story. Last story. I promise now. Did I promise last time? Oh, because I'm in trouble. See, my words, you see, you can't trust me. My words are, you see, only God you can trust. And Anthony Bass made a post against the LGBTQ plus community that, not, not that he was ridiculing or making fun of them, he was just using the Bible. He's a, a strong Christian, devout Christian, and he was using Ephesians 5, which says to expose darkness. And he, and he was targeting the two companies that support this LGBT, which is Target, that was here in Canada and got, and got bankrupt. And someone's got to say amen. Anyway, got bankrupt. And uh, Bud Light. I still can't figure out, if you're going to have a beer, why would you have a light? I, I don't drink beer, but I can't figure that out. Anyway, Bud Light. And he was against that. He went against them. And so all hell broke loose. And they're against Anthony Bass. And they're telling him, if you don't do this. And he says, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to go to counseling. I'm going to, I'm going to go submit myself to one of the pride organizers. And, 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 they, and, and he made a, he, so he, he, he apologized. But then, but then he made a second post. And he said, I, don't, yeah, I, I still stick to my, my convictions. And he said a few more things. And people were outraged. Outraged. And so finally the management had to fire him. And an LGBTQ plus personality went up to the management of Toronto and they had the audacity to say, uh, why didn't you fire him from day one? It's become militant. It's a militant spirit. Friends, I've got to say this. Anthony Bass is a good man. He loves the Lord. But he made a huge mistake. Fear. Compromise. I better recant because they're going to do this to me. I, I believe what I say, but, but what are people going to think of me? So let me apologize. Not once, but twice. And maybe three times, I'm not sure. But I still believe, but... but the, where did that get him? Nowhere. His word up. In fact, he made more of a mockery of Christ than anything else. Why? He didn't stand by his word. My friend, I know someone who always stands by his word. And his name is Jesus. You can place your confidence in him. Amen? Let's all stand together, please.